Welcome to Murray Mysteries. Like you, um, those movies that take place in the span of one night and you just think, just go to bed. There's no way that many things can or should happen after midnight. Yeah. Yeah, like that. So I went to bed around the usual time, um, and got about an hour of sleep before waking up with this weird feeling of dread. My first instinct was to look for Lucy, but she wasn't in bed or anywhere else in sight. The door was shut, but it wasn't locked anymore. Bad sign. I didn't know if I should wake a mother up. It seemed like it would be overstepping some kind of boundary, and Mrs. Westerner hasn't been feeling her best lately, so I just went out and searched the house by myself. I couldn't find Lucy anywhere, but the back door was open, so I figured she must have gone out. Not great, considering she was in her pyjamas and it was freezing outside. I ran out and found some high ground to see if I could spot her. Stroke of genius on my part, if I do say so myself, especially since my brain was barely awake. When I got to the top of the hill, I could see her sitting on a bench that we like to hang out at. It was on the east side of the graveyard? Yeah. I know how that sounds alright, but it's a really pretty graveyard. Anyway, I couldn't see that much from where I was standing. But it looked like... It looked like she wasn't alone. There was someone or... Something standing behind her and... I just got really scared. I ran as fast as I could to get to her, and I'm not an athlete. My idea of an exercise is a brisk walk to the coffee shop, so I don't think I've ever run that fast in my life. When I got to the graveyard, I called out to her, and that thing behind her looked up at me. It had this... this really white face. And red eyes, and I... I know it sounds crazy, okay? I was... it was dark. I'd been asleep minutes ago. I must have been hallucinating, but I know what I saw. Whatever it was, it wasn't human. I kept running towards her, but my sight was blocked by the mausoleum for a second, and when I looked again, she... the thing wasn't there. She was still asleep when I got to her, but her breathing wasn't right, and she kept shivering, and... It took me a while to get her to wake up. It was... I was really starting to panic. Then she did wake up, sort of. I mean, her eyes were open and she looked awake, but she was still really out of it. She didn't ask where she was or made a stupid joke or anything. She just... just followed me home. I don't think I've ever seen her so quiet. She 
barely said a word until we were home and back into bed. And then she asked me not to say anything to her mum. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't be broadcasting this online, but, uh... Mum doesn't know about the podcast anyway. She barely knows about the internet. Normally, I would have just said no and told her mum she should know about this and it's a big secret to keep. And I hate keeping secrets, but she's already ill. I'm scared to make things worse. I didn't even go back to sleep. What if, what if she got out again? What if? Hey, how are you feeling? Awesome. You recording? Yeah, well, I had to do something to keep busy. You sure you're okay? Peachy. Sorry I had to deal with all of this. You deserve your beauty sleep, not that you're not always gorgeous. Oh, you. Now, if you're done talking to your imaginary friends, I think we should have the biggest breakfast in the history of breakfast. I'm thinking pancakes mm. and waffles. Mm. Oh, and French toast with a full English on the side. I'm going to throw up. Fine then, just one of them. Your pick. You coming? Sorry, friends. I must attend to important breakfast matters. In the meantime, I shall leave you in the capable hands of Dr. Seward and yesterday Mina. Woohoo! Breakfast! <laughs> breakfast! <laughs> Hi there, listeners, and welcome back to Dr. Seward's Clinical Hour. I am here with the one and the only Dr. Jane Seward, who is going to update us on her work and ongoing case study with the mysterious R. Um, I don't know if mysterious is the right word. I'm just protecting my patient's privacy by not sharing any identifying details. I'll just just go with it. Right. How has the case evolved since you last talked to us? There have been quite a few changes. Would you like me to play the latest recordings? I documented it quite thoroughly. You're learning! Yes, please. Let's hear what past you has to say. R's been with us for nearly two weeks now. He's been fairly stable, but his attitude changed suddenly today. He became very excited, started sniffing around and moving erratically. I wasn't there at the time, so I couldn't observe it myself, but the attendant on duty reported the change. He tried to talk to him, figure out the source of his mood shift, but R refused to engage. Only said that the attendant didn't matter now because the master was at hand. This is quite curious. As far as I know, R hasn't mentioned a master before, although he does often mutter to himself too low for us to hear what he says. So it's a possibility. The attendant thinks he was referring to a god of some kind. That would be the most logical explanation, but I am dubious. I haven't seen anything to suggest the man is particularly religious, and it doesn't seem to fit with any of the possible diagnoses. Either way, he needs to be watched closely. I'll pay him a visit as soon as I can finish this paperwork. Later now, just came back from seeing R. He treated me exactly like he did the attendant, refused to talk to me because I wasn't worthy of his master. I stayed to observe him for a while, and he got more and more excited as the night went on, until about 11pm, when he suddenly got quiet and just sat on the edge of his bed, staring at the wall. I thought he might be faking it to convince us to leave him alone, so I tried to get him to engage with his remaining pets, but all he said was that they didn't matter either. He seems to have lost interest in everything except this master. Eventually I went home. Couldn't help but hear Lucy's voice in my head, telling me I work too much. I should get some sleep. I haven't been focused enough lately, and I can't have it affecting my work. <sighs> it's about four in the morning now. I got a call from security about 
an hour after my last update, saying R had run away. It's a good thing I wasn't asleep. I left right away and arrived to find the head of security organising a search party, which turned out to be unnecessary. One of the guards saw him round the corner of the street right then, so I ran off after him. I found him sitting by the chapel, talking to himself, still rambling on about his master. I tried to get closer without scaring him off, and the security guards caught up pretty quickly and surrounded him. He fought back. A lot, but we got him back into the secure room eventually, with additional surveillance. This is bad. And it could have been even worse. I should have known. I should be more careful. It's no use going to bed now. I have to prepare my case for the board and go back to work early to assess the damage. Wait. Wait, back up. He ran away? How is that possible? Isn't that place, like, really secure? It should be. I've made sure of that. We still don't know exactly what happened. When the attendant last checked on him, he was in bed apparently asleep, but ten minutes later he heard a noise like a window being wrenched out. When he got to R's room, all he could see were his feet going through the window frame. The board isn't happy, and with good reason. I should have replaced those windows, made sure they couldn't be broken. They should fire me. I'm honestly unfit to run an institution like this. R could be a danger to others if we hadn't found him almost immediately. Hey, hey. This isn't your fault. You got handed an old building and limited funds. You couldn't replace everything at once. I'm sure the windows didn't seem like a priority at the time. I mean, they seemed sturdy enough and we needed new beds, but I should have known. There was no way to predict this. You did the best you could. And you caught him before anything happened. Not everyone would have been this efficient in your situation. I don't. Thank you. I can see why Lucy talks about you so much. Well, she talks a lot, no matter what the topic. Is she... How is she doing? Is she still sleepwalking? How do you... Oh. <laughs> you listen to the podcast. I'm sorry, I hope this isn't an invasion of privacy. I just wanted to know to make sure she was happy. It's just not. Those recordings are out there for everyone to listen to. Lucy knows that. She loves that, actually. I'm glad you're looking out for her, too. I always will be, even if she didn't choose me. <laughs> She's a lucky girl. I know she still wants you in her life, just uh, not as her girlfriend. I've been where you are, <laughs> you know? I don't. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Lucy and I have uh, history. We dated for a bit in first year before I met Jonathan. The classic friends to lovers, back to friends to flatmates. You know how it goes. Do I? Well, you seem very close now. I think I could live with having something like that. Oh, sorry, it's the chairman. I have to take this. Oh, of, of, of course. Go. And don't let them step all over you. I'll... Thank you. Well, this was quite an eventful update. <laughs> Don't forget to stay tuned for Dr. Seward's next clinical hour and join us next week for uh, whatever happens next. I honestly have no idea. Murray Mysteries is a Nerve Storytelling production. This episode was written and produced by May Tudick and featured Drew Victory as Mina Murray, Bevan Tankard as Dr. Jane Seward, and Megan John as Lucy Westenerer. Original music by Sophie Kay. Thank you for listening.